0: Auto Sport International, live at the NEC. Come to Autosport International as we celebrate 70 years of the Italian supercar legend, Ferrari. Get up close to an amazing array of race and road cars. Meet motorsports legends, including Red 5 himself, Nigel Mansell. And there's more, much, much more. Don't miss Autosport International, live at the NEC on the 13th and 14th of January. Book online at autosportinternational.com. It's the Autosport Podcast. We ask why Formula E has delayed battery competition yet again, and look at what we learned from the Hong Kong season opener. Formula E has been back in the news recently, not just with the start of the 2017-18 season in Hong Kong, but also with the news that battery competition is at best on the distant horizon, having originally been planned to come in a lot sooner. I'm your host Ed Straw, and joining me to talk about all things electric first is Autosport's Formula E correspondent Scott Mitchell. Now, Scott, you've been extremely woolly at this time of year. I've noticed. Can you can you justify quite quite how woolly you've you've been?
2: All I'm, all I'm trying to do is is avoid an Ed Straw-esque head cold. Um, but it's only really today that I've realised that I probably don't really need a hat if I just wear my hair down now it's perfect enough insulation
0: <laughs> the infamous Scott Mitchell charity hair
2: well yeah exactly so my this is my my usual plug go to justgivingcom slash scottmitchell92 and give me all of your money
0: and now far more sensibly at least sensibly I hope we also have Anthony Rollinson. now you've been getting involved in Formula E a little bit more recently obviously you're a, a Formula One veteran but you you certainly enjoyed being out in out in Hong Kong It seemed to make quite a big impression on you as a place for a
1: Race. it's great i mean it's an amazing city it was my first time in hong kong um i'm aware here that i mustn't exceed 30 seconds of eulogy about hong kong given uh scott's earlier edict but it was a it was a fabulous place for a, for a, to host a motor race and i had a sort of bogus preconception that it'd be a bit like shanghai a sort of vast mega city um swathed in pollution but it's not that at all it's it's a vibrant bustling energetic uh post-colonial city and but it's fascinating in every in every regard
2: you go there with this like idea of it and then i think actually when you touch down in downtown hong kong you realize just how westernized it is and then i guess you sort of go oh well actually until about 20 years ago it 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 was under that rule wasn't it
1: well it just it just it was 97 yeah it, it just blew me away the whole thing um but but also the sheer sort of financial power and confidence that you get the sense of wealth and uh, actually we don't need to do anything on anyone else's terms other than our own and it really sort of smacked me in the face because as a brit you're heavily exposed to sort of european culture and american culture ...less so to sort of Chinese Eastern culture... ...and it's like wow... This is a serious country uh, with, with serious ambition in ev- in every way.
2: I think it's got the highest concentration of skyscrapers, hasn't it? And it's like the fourth most densely populated city on Earth. But it's also got the highest collection of skyscrapers. And it's really intimidating when you walk when you walk through. Fulnery's obviously got this reputation of racing in city centres. But this is this is proper. This is exactly what you would envisage with a city centre motor race.
1: But I think what what gives it a bit of breathing space, if you like, quite literally, is that it's on the waterfront there on Victoria Harbour. So you, you have got that incredible Hong Kong ba- skyline properly iconic thing and then on the other side you just got this vast sort of water stretch out to Kowloon um which is a, a brilliant view and just very scenic and it, it was an amazing place to um start the season I think all, all credit to for one of the things many things that it gets so 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 right and all credit to Alejandro Agag and others for their vision is is doing this racing in iconic cities because you come away having had an amazing time almost in spite of the racing or as well as the racing you know you, you kind of don't need it to be a fabulous race just to really enjoy what's going on it's 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 a brilliant aspect of Formula E. Well
0: it's clearly working so in my mind Hong Kong's just somewhere you go through on the way to the Macau Grand Prix historically so uh, Mm. so yeah that that means it's that's on my list of of places to visit properly. Now let's get on to to Formula E proper. Formula E CEO Alejandro Agag has said it's going to be at least the 11th season which is 2025 I think it starts if at all that battery competition comes in. Now Formula E is all about developing technology, pushing the limits. So surely this is a bit of an admission of failure if they're not going to go down the battery route.
2: Yeah, this is actually the second time I've gone to a Formula E race um, looking for a little bit of an explanation of of, of why some kind of technological advancement has been put back. Actually, I've seen a version of the, the roadmap, the idea of of where Formula E should be in five seasons time that, that first came out. I've seen a version of it that originally had battery competition in season three or something like that. So we, we should already have it. But at its heart, that that's the reason for, for it changing is the idea of sort of what might be achievable in a few years time, say six, seven years ago, the, the reality hasn't happened quite like that. So Formula E's biggest strength to me, in addition to obviously this ability to attract manufacturer after manufacturer is it's, you know, it's acceptance that it needs to be flexible. So if technology is not achievable uh, at a, a sensibly priced rate or the what's relevant to the road car manufacturers in terms of what they need to be investing in changes, then Formula E and the FIA reserve the right to be a bit more flexible with what they're trying to achieve. And at the moment... The big thing with that is, is batteries. Whenever you speak to anyone in the paddock about it, they sort of all close up a little bit because they're all in agreement that it's going to be extremely expensive if and when it, it comes around. And the idea is that there are other ways to go in the short term to actually have that technological aspect of the series. I think
0: people tend to focus a lot on the batteries, but perhaps you can explain what it's offering manufacturers in terms of the technology, because that's a, that's a pretty big deal, the, the batteries. And that's an area where there's expected to be a lot of progression and development over the years so kind of taking that off the table seems quite a big thing to people
2: i think yeah to a point but as, as was sort of explained to me last week it's not like they're not learning anything from the current battery just because it's a standard battery amongst teams doesn't mean that it needs to be standard in technology so the teams and the manufacturers can take away uh, learnings of, of of how to get the most from the battery so sort of like how different slightly different driving styles within each team affects battery usage how you optimize it how you write the software to get the most out of it actually how you manage the battery physically all of that sort of thing is very relevant learning and then further down the line, if you can open up uh, different aspects of it, so whether you stick to a spec cell and then get the manufacturers to package the battery around that, like you you can do things like that. But it's not just the battery that they're gaining stuff from. The big thing, obviously, this is the third season that teams have been able to build their own powertrain. That's the motor inverter and the gearbox, which are very important parts of an electric vehicle. Software is completely free and formally as well. And that's crucial in terms of working out what mapping you need in certain situations. So on the face of it, I, I, I totally agree that that it looks like a very frustrating piece of stagnation on Formula E's part. But actually, there are different elements of the championship that already give manufacturers quite a lot that they can contribute. And this is just one area that they've pushed back because they say, okay, in the short term, it doesn't really give us as much as we need it to to justify it.
1: Of course, there is a new battery for season five, isn't there? I mean, when, when we will go to one battery per... Per car per race. Yeah, exactly. And so that, there is which there is the is, McLaren battery. Yeah, inside. so there is battery development. It's not like there's been none since since the championship started. And I'd just like to pick up on something that Scott said actually, which I think is really interesting. Is this combination of Formula E being visionary and pragmatic at the same time, which is really unusual. It's something I've never experienced in in uh, my my time sort of watching and writing about motor racing because there's definitely a sense in Formula E of everyone being in the same boat and trying to make a. It's almost like having a higher purpose, having a common goal, which is. It is ultimately to promote electric vehicles, and I'm sure some people are getting very wealthy out of it. But there is actually a slight sense of <laughs> we're all doing a bit of good by doing this, which is very, very unusual in motor racing because it's such a ruthless, cutthroat business where the only thing that ever matters is winning. And you actually get a slightly different sense of why people are there in Formula. E. I don't know if you'd agree with that, Scott, but that's that's my perspective. Yeah, from no, the slightly outside I do agree because of one of the
2: one one of the important things is ultimately if if you take Formula, e, it's sort of uh, I don't know how to best put it, like, like theological good that it exists to promote electric vehicles and, and do wonderful things for the, for the road car world for years to come. It needs to be around to do that. It needs to be, it needs to exist to make that contribution. And if you open up battery competition and turn a 20 or 30 million euro formula into a 60, 70 million a season, well, suddenly, when you're not getting massive, uh, p- massive numbers of people through the gates or massive people tuning in on television or, you know, Huge sums of money from sponsors. You're going to have this massive escalation in in team budgets, and you're not going to get the same return of investment. So the manufacturers will be around for a year or two, and then they'll disappear because they're not getting what they need for their money. And then the no championship exists to actually then introduce all of these different technologies further down the line. So yeah, it's it's pragm- pragmatism mixed with this you know driving the future messes that they're trying to put it's out. It's
1: almost like the important thing is that the championship wins actually more than. person or a driver or a team wins it's like the existence of the championship and everything that it can kind of promote from its from its very existence is is actually what winning is really formulary
2: yeah when you look at someone like audi which is in the championship this season as a fully fledged manufacturing team for the first time they've canned their lmp1 project within the audi motorsport group they have the capacity to to build a chassis to to go into aerodynamic development, to throw absolutely everything they need, hundreds of millions of of euros if they need to, at building the perfect race car to dominate that series and go out and win every single race. But they're they're very aware that if they do that, they'll kill the championship. They won't have anything to compete in. They won't have anything to spread the message that they want to be spreading. So they're sort of saying, okay, fine. Well, we know that we could do this. We actually have the capabilities of doing this. But they're sacrificing that for the greater good of the championship. It's all a little bit utopian at the moment, but it's definitely working in terms of shoring up the medium-term future of the series.
0: Is it coincidence that, for the most part, Formula E is filled with manufacturers who are not in formula one and perhaps we've made an active decision not to go towards formula one because the, the obvious comparison there is the escalating costs in formula one that just doesn't seem to be able to be stopped and it's very difficult to get any kind of collective collaborative for the good of the sport feel
1: well i think again it's only an opinion but i mean the essence of competition is so ingrained in formula one you know the piranha club the arms race technical arms race that you have in formula one the way the drivers are you know it's all about being world champion which is as it should be I think that's so deeply ingrained in Formula 1 that that in fact that is really what the sport is you know kill kill what you eat what you kill win at all costs you couldn't really reinvent Formula 1 to be something other than that because it wouldn't be it actually wouldn't be Formula 1 any longer whereas Formula 1 really started with a rather different set of goals and ideals and we're seeing that play out I mean Scott's seen that for longer than I have but you, you can very much feel it as sort of someone quite new to it you do get this sense of There being a a purpose to the to the championship, which is a very strange thing to say about motor racing, which is essentially a very pointless exercise. But with a pointless exercise, but it exists only because it exists. Shocking phrase. Whereas whereas Formula (laughs) E, actually, you get a sense of existing for actually something a bit more important than itself.
2: Exactly, because in Formula One, and this is something that uh, BMW Motorsport boss Jens Marquard said to me at the uh, at the weekend in Hong Kong, that. Formula One has been around for such a long time now, with so much success, that there's probably never really any serious consideration for whether or not it needs needs X to survive. Does it need the manufacturer well? Probably not, because there are several teams whose businesses are built around being in Formula One. So Formula One will always exist. A championship like Formula E knows... That its popularity is built around something a bit more sort of tangible. It's not just this idea that Formula One is the, the the you know the pinnacle, so everyone wants to be there. In Formula E, they're there for a reason. They're there because it's a cost effective way to go motor racing in a way that they can justify to their board by spreading this message of the technology they're developing for the road. And if you kill that quickly by letting costs ex- escalate, then they're not going to have any reason to be there.
1: The thing I keep coming back to with Formula E, the, the phrase that won't leave my head is. Um it's a well-worn phrase but there's nothing so powerful as a good idea and you do get this sense if you, tra- you trademark that one i can see not, that on the poster it, it, it's not mine sadly but um <laughs> it's it's this notion that it's the right championship at the right time and you have to credit alejandro agag with that and i suppose john todd as well but anytime you speak to alejandro about it he he just articulates very clearly very rationally the idea and rationale behind the championship and i think as long as you've got someone like that guiding it along keeping the manufacturers in check actually then then you, you do get the sense of why it's there and what it's doing.
2: And it is worth pointing out something that, that Anthony said before, which is about the fact we've got this new battery coming in next season. So for all of this all of this good in the championship, all the manufacturers coming in and, and all the positivity around the series' future, there are tangible gains being made as well. So next season, the cars will be able to go literally twice as long. Well, not not literally. They will actually be able to go twice, That's as, what literally twice, twice yeah. as long um, <laughs> next year, which is significant pro- progress in what will effectively be four seasons worth of running so the batteries will have greater power density they'll be they'll be putting out more 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 energy they'll be giving the motors the fuel to be able to run at uh, a greater power there's going to be so much progress being made there already has been there's been incremental gains over the last few seasons we've got again this year where you've got 180 kilowatts of power instead of 170 in the race and Things like that, like the battery hasn't changed in four years, but they're still getting these extra little bits out of it. And then next year there'll be an even bigger shift and the car will change dramatically as well. And then in three years' time you'll have an even bigger shift. And just because there won't be the teams building their own batteries when that happens, there will still be massive gains that have sort of significance for the series as a whole and give the road car manufacturers something to take back when they build their road cars in the future.
0: I do think the single car for race is going to be quite a big moment for Formula E given the in the wider world concerns about range, et cetera, on electric cars. I yeah. think that's almost highlighted it a bit too much. And in a way, that's that for me has felt like a little bit of a negative over the first few years. But it then becomes a positive if it allows to get to this point where like, suddenly like your, you can say, here's the step change from one season to another.
1: I like your analogies, positive, negative. negatives, very good. Very, exactly. Very appropriate.
2: Yeah. And, and Sam Bird will be happy that we're getting rid of the mid-race here, car here swaps we as well. We as a, <laughs> race one in Hong Kong, I've... Okay, the, the the nature of the circuit with a sort of short, short pit lane that bypasses the final corner sort of helped him out but I've not seen a driver win a race serving a drive through penalty before so he was very lucky to get away with that one.
0: <laughs> very, very rare. Mark Webber managed it in Formula 1 at the Nürburgring, didn't he, his first win? He
1: did, you're right, 2009. Uh, yeah. But no, yeah. it's, it
0: is very, very rare. I must admit, I'm not a big fan of the car swaps also. It's always concerned me quite how much how many people there are around and everything. It's ne- I'm surprised it's they don't seen... have more
2: incidents. We had yeah. one last year in Berlin when Felix Rosenfist ultimately cost him the win. He didn't he got away with it in terms of he won the race on the road, but he didn't actually end up keeping the win because he got a times time penalty for an unsafe release. And I wrote at the time afterwards that Formula E needs to find a way to to, to get away from this because you you can't have a system that is only reactive to problems. So if something terrible happens and someone gets seriously injured in a mid-race car swap in the fourth season... And that's when you go. Oh, these are a bit dangerous. We should probably do something about this. Where well, the danger's been there for four seasons, it's far better to be preventative than it is to be reactive. So, from a pure safety point of view as well, it's going to be quite a big step because I've always felt that it's one one area where Formula is just sort of chancing its arm a little bit. And that's when it comes down to safety, you can't just
1: be relying on luck. Yeah, it's a little bit Keystone Cops, isn't it, the whole thing? Because generally, it's a very slick and professional championship. and It's got high ambitions, but that aspect of it does come across just a little bit. We're winging it here, aren't we, guys? You know, and it, you see. It Drivers unbuckling and sprinting across, and okay, they're, they're doing a good job. There's, you know, it's um, a physical challenge for them, but you think mm, this did, somehow it doesn't sit quite comfortably. Well, with, yeah, and with, this with is the rest of everything you see,
2: and, and and especially given that they've got this minimum pit stop time in place as well, which gives the drivers about three, four, five seconds leeway. In terms of swapping the cars, it's not like they're jumping in the car and then taking off again. they've got this sort of grace period and they're still pushing the limits like Sam said we, you know we we were in the lead we were fighting for the win we had to push that's why I made the mistake. If you're making that mistake when you've got a few seconds on the table, what happens when it suddenly becomes a proper race? So they've policed it quite well in that regard. I just think that there's probably more they can do, and they're just we're just lucky that there's only one more season before the problem gets eradicated for us.
0: Now, Scott, you've been explaining things very well so far, but in our season preview podcast, you predicted Lucas de Grassi to win the championship, a title fight with Sebastian Buemi. Now, they've both started two races. The two drivers have a grand total of one point between them. <laughs> yes, yeah, so so I was
2: right. They're going to have a crack in championship fight because there's only one point between them after the first two races.
0: Well, from that perspective, you could argue it, but I think Sam Bird, up in the lead with 35 points, might have something to, to say about that. So, I don't want to get too bogged down in, in too much of the detail about the race, but what did we learn in the first weekend in Hong Kong that we didn't learn from the Valencia test?
2: Nobody's going to get away with bad qualifying this year. But I mean, the grassy, one of the, one of the conclusions from Valencia testing was that it would be very close in the fight for pole. But I don't think anyone expected Jaguar to come out with such searing one lap pace. You know, Evans should have been in the pole fight both days, which is incredible. And he eventually scored Jaguar's first podium. So the sort of compression through the field that we expected from Valencia is arguably a little bit more aggressive. And the problem with that is going to be that because Audi's one lap pace isn't anything special... That, that car is very quick in, 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 in the race and Apt and Degrassi respectively on Saturday and Sunday were among the quickest, if not the quickest, over the course of the race in race pace. So that that is still very much a valid conclusion. The problem is they're dropping themselves into the position where they can get caught up in bumps and scrapes and pick up damage and suffer electrical problems that they're just not going to get away with.
0: Does this have the feel of a, of a championship that could be very much based upon the driver making a difference and it also being about the teams getting it right, not just the inherent package but if you're giving away a few tenths in qualifying it's going to make all the difference isn't it
2: yeah well I think if you compare it to I think when I wrote something for Autosport Plus last week and my comparison was qualifying in Hong Kong compared to Q2 in Monaco for the Grand Prix earlier this year and there was 16 drivers in Formula E in Hong Kong covered by 0.9 seconds and that was across nine of the teams and then if you go to Q2 in Monaco for the Grand Prix Where obviously everyone puts on their softest tires and they crank everything up to eleven. Well, not quite Mercedes, but everyone else cranks it up to eleven. So the spread is usually more realistic, and that same gap covers the top five in 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 Formula One. So so, you know if you're if you're in an Audi or a Renault in Formula E and you drop two or three temps, you're not even in the top ten. Whereas obviously if you're in Mercedes and or a Ferrari fighting for the F1 title and you drop a couple of temps. You might be on the second row, maybe the third row. So I don't I don't know about you, but obviously what you've seen in Formula 1, but it's just that sort of...
1: I, one of the things I
2: love about Formula One is that the punishment for the driver and the team is yeah. so severe if they make a mistake. Well, I, was,
1: I was really struck by Alex Lin, um, speaking to him after race two, I think it was. Um, and he literally... I said, how was it for you? And he literally rolled his eyes and went, wow, that is one of the wildest, fiercest bits of most sport I've ever been involved in. And the intensity of the competition that he was feeling was him speaking as a racing driver it wasn't it wasn't someone adapting to a different car or a new championship it was the sheer competitive edge that he'd had to find j- just to kind of stay involved um and that really hit home to me because you know he's a very experienced guy Alex and he's he's you know he's done the Mans for me won all sorts of broad broad experience of motor racing so he knows what he's talking about and this really hit home to him that this was a very tight competitive championship
2: i think it was um practice on the the sunday morning when uh, looked at the timing screens and saw that nineteenth and twentieth on the uh, in practice for fastest lap times were were Andre Lotta and Neil Yarney. guys that have got what four Le Mans wins between them, um, Porsche LMP1 stars up until the end of this season. You know the two guys that are re- regarded probably as highly as you can be outside of racing in in Formula One, and they were propping up the timesheets at a Formula E event on the second day as well. So it's kind of like that, that If you want a good example of how hard Formula E is, you just have to look at the calibre of drivers that are at the back of the field. And that's going to hit home massively in qualifying and in the races, because you saw guys like um, Sebastian Boemi uh, when he qualified badly because he, well, he hit the wall in qualifying on the Sunday and he didn't really make progress. But we've seen before in the last two years where Boemi qualifies down the grid, manages to shoot up the order. And Buenos Aires in season two, he qualified, started 18th last at the time, started 18th. He finished second he was aided by a safety car but he still had the pace the difference between the teams was so severe he was able to fly back through the order and he made it back to
1: 11th this time in hong kong it seems to have been a reshuffling this year this year or sort of closing up i mean the ds virgin guys were saying they didn't actually know why they were quite as quick as as they were they couldn't fully understand their pace mahindra was strong um jagu obviously made a massive leap. So. You know, you watch this more closely than me. You've got a greater um breadth of knowledge to draw upon, but it definitely seems to be much closer this year than it has in previous season.
2: Yeah, I think with uh with Bird's win on the Saturday, and he's a championship leader now as well, I think he'll and he and the team will be honest to say that they were flattered by circumstances in, in Hong Kong. They just they pieced together a good weekend. Sam drove really well on the Sunday to salvage I think he was sixth from thirteenth from on the grid after a ten place grid penalty. Fifth fifth was yeah exactly so you got he's got a win and a fifth from the first two races I think he would have you know the cliche bitten your hand off if you'd offered that to him pre-weekend if, if
0: it was so close can you just explain how he managed to win the first race after that drive through because it's not as if he took the lead that early in the first In he passed John Eric Vern's technical cheater not that long before the before the pit stops and so as soon as he got the, the drive through penalty he thought yep yeah, he's not going to be able to win this but He managed to.
2: Yeah. First of all, I'm not going to let your subtle drop of technical cheater go past without without remarking. You're getting very very good at slipping those in. There was a video
0: of the technical cheater
2: racing an actual cheater. Yeah. A physical cheater. Yeah. Um, No. So basically, it's
0: it's there. It's it's there. Provable (laughs) on
2: YouTube. So Sam passed the technical cheater. You're right. Towards the end of the first stint, a great move as well. One of the best I've seen in Formula. He had a combination he had better race pace than the than verne and it's not the first time we've seen someone who arguably has an inferior package have better race pace than verne sometimes he's he struggled but verne said after the race that he had a really difficult time in both cars he was really struggling so bird was able to sort of edge clear because verne was struggling anyway and then verne just got engaged in a more and more and more aggressive defense of heidfeld over second. But these two people, even though they were fighting for second on track, they weren't, if you follow me, the second and third fastest people on track. They were in that position because of problems that had befallen other people at the time. So, Degrassi and Boemi were out of the picture. Rosenquist wasn't in the picture either. So you had this situation where Bird was in front, edging away from two people battling really hard who weren't actually his quickest pursuers. They just happened to be the nearest people to him on track. So he just got further and further ahead. By the time he served his penalty, came out, was only just in front of them. And then obviously he was able to edge clear because the two behind him got engaged in an even more aggressive scrap that made Nick Heidfeld, who is one of the most amiable and polite people I've ever met in racing, he was basically seething after the race. So that tells you all you need to know about how sort of badly tempered that, that fight got. And it just it just played into Bird's hand. I'd be surprised if he go we go to Marrakesh and the races after that and he's still, still sort of... At the moment, he's obviously got a one-in-two strike rate for wins this season. I'll be amazed if he keeps that going. I think the racing gods just
0: couldn't allow Heidfeld to get past Vernon and then win the race. Obviously, Nick Heidfeld has the record for most podiums in Formula 1 without a win at 13. The record for most podiums without a win in Formula E with eight all third places.
2: I think I joked after... The very first Formula E race, which obviously ended with Nick Heidfeld being denied a Formula, Formula E win because he was sent spiralling into the barriers. Um, and just in case anyone's unclear, that incident did actually <laughs> happen three Whatever, years Lewis ago. Hamilton. There was some <laughs> delayed reaction to <Just, laughs> <Lewis laughs> Hamilton being unhappy. Just, just, so, but, to be fair,
0: the point Lewis made was perfectly valid. Absolutely. It was a uh, terrible uh, bit of driving.
2: It was a from, terrible uh, bit of driving. But, but, I, but I said after that happened that if Heidfeld manages to go. On the, on the on that evidence, if Heifeld manages to go as many Formula E races without winning as he did in Formula 1, Formula is going to have a really, really interesting <laughs> future. <laughs> and it's proven to be the case. <laughs> Absolutely
0: right. But can we expect this to keep happening? Is it just that this is the start of the season, people weren't quite ready and on top of their packages? Are we going to see a, a more clear pattern emerge as we go to Marrakesh and beyond and maybe the field spread out a little bit more?
2: Oh, yeah, we'll see a clearer pecking order because... The mistakes that sort of blighted a few weekends in in Hong Kong just won't be repeated. Boemi talks about having this mystery problem on the on the, on the Sunday, we, we, which was a bit bizarre and he was very, very cryptic about it. But Renault E Dams is a very, very good team. They've won three consecutive teams championships, four out of the six titles on offer in Formula E, because obviously Boemi won the drivers' title in season two. So they'll get on top of that sooner rather than later. If it's not Marrakesh, it'll be Punta del Este or, or a race in the future. And you'll have people like Degrassi who have who built their reputation in Formula e off of executing more clean weekends than bad ones. He uh, can't imagine that he's going to have too many repeats of the shocker that he had in Hong Kong. And then guys like Rosenfist who, yeah, he won the second race, but he admitted that he's not at the level he needs to be at at the moment because he's not particularly comfortable on the brakes and he just seems a little bit on edge in the car. So that will settle down. Tachita will get a little bit more up to speed because until they got to Hong Kong, they'd only done three days of testing because they don't get the private testing that afforded to manufacturers. So by the time they get up to speed, you'll have Verne, who won in Montreal at the end of last season. He'll be a more regular threat. Guys like Andre Lotter are Verne's teammate. They'll get a bit more experience. He might become more involved. So the, the picture will change as the season goes on.
1: Hong Kong's a slightly atypical track as well, isn't it? Marrakesh is a little bit more like we you've got a normal 4 One race. Circuit. Well, this
2: is the thing. You're going to go from Hong Kong, which is one of the bumpier, dustier, mm. proper city circuits.
1: And then you're going to go to Marrakesh,
2: which is still very dusty, but mm. it's it's a proper racetrack. Mm. You know, actual championships go there. So that's going to be a bit of a weird one. And then we're going to go to, I think the next race after that is Punta del Este, the replacement for Sao Paulo. That's by the beach. In Uruguay. So that's going to be really dusty, uh, well, sandy. Uh, So it's quite funny, actually, we talk about uh, we're expecting this pecking order to emerge. Maybe it will take half the season before we actually sort of know where we stand. Whereas previously, like last year, when we went out and won the first three races and you're just like, yeah, okay, we can see where this one's
1: going. I suppose this is fairly typical of any championship. We have reasonable rule stability, isn't it? People iterate and and the people who make the the big gains early on, which tend to be manufactured or the best funded, it's you know whatever championship is in the other teams get close and chip away so the performance differentials negligible towards the end and maybe that's where we're at with Formula B this year yeah I
2: think so and my point about Audi still stands because they didn't really have this similar level of technical investment that say Renault did for the first two seasons of the powertrain war they did quite well with sort of limited technology and now they've put that investment in for the final year of the rule cycle so along with Jaguar they're, they're one of the teams that's making a bigger jump than you would expect when you've got this consistency.
0: And can we expect for the rest of the season certain teams to get their barcode right as well?
2: Yeah, well, this is one of the things we talk about, like things like the uh, mid-race car swap, where you have this bizarre anomaly of a well-run championship that just seems to have, you know, why do you let this happen? I still can't work out how Formula E teams make errors like this. I've seen, since I've covered the championship, I've seen Degrassi lose a win for... Uh, one of the cars being underweight because they slightly uh, they slightly misjudged uh, how heavy they needed to 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 ballast it up. I've seen Antonio Felix da Costa lose uh, his first pole position because one out of his four tyres was. 0.2 bar under the minimum tyre pressure. Uh, Buemi's been chucked out of a couple of race results for for being under the weight limit, and now, and now Apps lost his first win in Formula Maria and Audi's first win as a So This is the
0: third time that yeah, it's the, the third App's time that the App team has, has lost, lost a win.
2: Yeah, exactly, which is which is absolutely crazy and and apps lost it because someone effectively I remember when I when I was karting um, as a kid you'd have like a scrutineering card and you'd fill out your your seals on your engine and and stuff like that and then you submit it and they've done that they've got the technical passport they need to fill out and um and and the motor and inverter barcodes didn't match up and the so the idea is that uh, completely legitimate they've they've not done it through nefarious means but they've basically changed the batch of powertrain parts after pre-season testing at Valencia and that's the plat- one. The, 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 they're the units that they plan to complete the season with. And what they've done, they've filled out the passport with the information from the previous batch. So no, no intention. We believe to to mislead anyone. Why would you, when you've got something so obvious there? Like you're not going to get away with that. It's just it's just human error.
0: And the trouble is, if you don't come down on that, someone will take advantage of it one day, won't they? Yeah, so exactly. So you've kind of just, just got go, to go. Right. That's
2: a really frustrating human error, and I can't. You gotta think it's not going to happen again. Touch wood. Feel sorry for the guy that made the mistake, but yeah, exactly. Things like that. So you're going to have guys, guys not being thrown out of the results for really frustrating, silly little reasons.
0: And I guess the other thing from Hong Kong, Eduardo Mortara, possible Formula E star. Yeah, came was, very close to winning the second race. That
2: was amazing. Um, obviously, I've I've seen a few rookies come in and and, and do do some some amazing things in the championship Rosenfist got pole on his second weekend so if you're taking it based on their second Formula E race Mortara was arguably as special as Rosenfist last year but Rosenfist didn't come close to converting that pole to a win
1: he was bang on it wasn't it, he yeah, it
2: was, and you must have got the impression from sort of the people that have been in the, been in the championship a little bit longer just how special it was that yeah. he came in and did no, this
1: it was amazing it was amazing to watch the, the, the thing that really struck me was the precision of his driving and okay given his his previous record at Macau and all the rest of it—it's—it's it's, it's no surprise that he can do that. But it was really impressive to watch, just just as a sort of display of sporting skill.
2: From from a driving point of view, that was that was really cool. And he was it was really cool to see someone come in and just sort of put it on the limit because he put it in the wall in in, in qualifying the, the day before, which was you know he'd crossed he'd, he'd found the limit then. So he reined it in. He drove really well in the race on Saturday. Then on Sunday he hooked it up in qualifying, did a good job there, and in the race he was just once Rosenfist spun and handed him the lead. It was just amazing. What was what was, yeah. what was really sort of telling for me, and this is you know the probably the lesser sexy side of, of Formula E racing, is the ease with which he was able to extend his lead while managing his energy. He said that in the second stint he was basically the reason he was pushing on, the reason he went for fastest lap, which led to the mistake, which was stupid, and he sh- he knows that, and he should have seen it out for the victory he did that because he had too much energy he'd over saved he was above target so he needed to use it because by the time you got into those last two or three laps you're past the point of saving enough energy so that you can react to a safety car you can just go for it uh, so he got a bit too tempted but I just couldn't believe he was in that situation when you look at someone like Kamui Kobayashi, a guy who has pr- prior experience of that kind of racing from LMP1, um, he he really struggled on energy. And okay, Mortara had a little bit more testing experience than Kobayashi did, but kobayashi was nowhere on his energy management. And Mortara was just absolutely stunning.
1: It was it was uh chastening actually to see how gutted he was afterwards. I mean in the press conference was one thing that I happened to be on the same flight home as him, which was um effectively 24 hours later, a bit more. And he was still really downcast actually. I was I mean normally if you see a driver in an airport, you know, it's relaxed, you might well say hello. But he, he definitely wasn't talking. He had the blinkers on. He had the earphones in, um, iPhone on. He, he just, he just still didn't want to talk. It about It It tells you, you know. how much it hurt
2: him that he, You know, he finished. He finished third in that race, promoted to second later on, and getting a podium on his second start was absolutely no consolation. Because he knew that he 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 threw away his first win. It would yeah. have been the team's first win as well. Because it, it's that agonizing for Venturi as well. Because they won the season finale in the first season uh, on the road in, in London. Stefan Sarazan won. And he got chucked out for uh, using, I, I can't remember whether it was using too much energy or exceeding the maximum power allowed. It's I, too think much it, energy I think, was I think energy, cause it was energy. Because this was back when you could go over the 28 kilowatt hours because you have this reserve that you can use. And he got thrown out, and they've not come close to winning a race since then. And they were two and a half, well, two and two thirds of a lap uh, away from winning. And it would have been absolutely absolutely stunning. It was still a fantastic result, but it it meant far less to him than a win would have. I'm
1: really glad um, he didn't try and fudge it. He basically fessed up and said, you know, you know what, it was my mistake. And Mm. that's classy when someone does that, you know, because there are a million ways you could explain away an error. And Especially in Formula E. Yeah, and he sort of didn't. He said, I kind of blew it. And that's that's why he was so gutted, I think, because he knew it was his mistake. But it's it's still good to see someone actually hold their hand up. You know, you get a driver and any sportsman, they gain a lot of respect for just saying, you know what, I dropped that one.
2: Yeah.
0: And I think there's little doubt that uh, Murtara, provided he hangs around Formula E for, for a while, I don't think that first one will be too far away. Of course, his next chance will be in Marrakesh on January the 13th. Obviously, Autosport will be there to bring you all the all the latest news. And so, check Autosport.com in the interim for all the latest news from not just Formula E but Formula One and the whole world of motorsport check out Autosport magazine out on thursday the christmas double issue is out uh, is out this week plenty there to to get your teeth into and also check out sister titles f1 racing motorsport.com and also maybe try out the inside evs website which is also part of motorsport network which covers all things electric vehicle both on the road and on the racetrack thanks very much for joining us we'll be back soon with another autosport podcast